I really want to thank Miro, one of the most useful tools. They sponsor this podcast. They are my go-to resource when it comes to working remotely and collaborating. They're also great for an office, but let me paint a picture for you. Everyone here is working from home in some capacity. Either we have peers that work from home, maybe we're part in the office, part out. Collaboration can be chaotic. Miro is the ultimate digital whiteboard and visual collaboration platform. You could be a remote team, you could be a creative agency, you could be a solopreneur. Miro allows you to brainstorm, plan, and execute seamlessly. Picture this, you're in a virtual meeting mapping out a huge project with Miro. You can drag and drop sticky notes, sketch wireframes, organize ideas all in real time. You collaborate with your team no matter where they are. This is a game changer. If you are ready to transform your workflow, you have to try Miro today. To show you how powerful it is, I created my own Miro board that you can check out at Miro.com slash success pod. It has a ton of resources for entrepreneurs, but it will also show you all the functionality of Miro. So go to Miro.com or go to Miro.com slash success pod for a ton of resources. Try Miro today. It's going to radically change how you collaborate with your team. Welcome to the Success Story Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Clary. On this podcast, I have candid interviews with execs, celebrities, politicians, and other notable figures, all who have achieved success through both wins and losses, to learn more about their life, their ideas, and their insights. I sit down with leaders and mentors and unpack their story to help pass those lessons on to others through both experiences and tactical strategy for business professionals, entrepreneurs, and everyone in between. Without further ado, another episode of the Success Story Podcast. Thanks again for joining us today. I'm sitting down with Mike Liut, who is a former professional ice hockey goaltender and current managing director of Octagon Hockey. So following his extremely impressive 15-year career, uh, the Connecticut Hockey Hall of Famer earned his Juris Doctorate from Detroit College of Law, pivoting from professional ice hockey player to lawyer. Uh, today, he is responsible for the negotiation of over $328 million in active NHL contracts, managing the contracts of some of the most prolific and well-known players in the NHL. Mike, thank you so much for joining. Um, walk me through, starting with where you first started playing hockey, where that passion came from, all the way through to what you're doing now at Octagon. I played in a little town outside of... Uh... Uh, Toronto and the 60s, uh, and it was called Woodbridge, which is now... I know Woodbridge, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. So it was a town of 3,000 people, and maybe we drew from 15,000 uh, people uh, to Kleinberg and, and so forth. But uh, we would have our, our banquet at the end of the year, and the commissioner or convener of the league or association, our, our entry into the OMHA said, that education is important and one out of, and he gave some denominator, which was rather large, make it to the NHL. And I was stunned. And I remember thinking, well, he didn't say zero. So, <laughs> and I think that that's relatively consistent with players that, uh, uh, you know, that, that they've all, I think at one point had that conscious at a young age. And maybe, you know, it's not something that you express and tell the world. It's just in your 
part. Yeah. Right. This is going to do that. And it's it's certainly naive, but I mean, if you can't dream, right? Then that's sort of the the seeds of success. I think you have to come to a point where you 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 um, you decide this is what I want to do. And whether you actually do it or not, I don't know, but you certainly try and leave no stone unturned. Obviously, there's lots of people that play, and the pyramid gets rather small, but um, I won't even go as far as to say self-belief. I won't get into the psychology of it. It's just something that you do. You start in a direction and you and you you move forward. And along the way, there's always going to be people who have a significant impact on your career and likely goes all the way, runs the gamut. And I certainly have that. When I'm talking to players, that I represent, have represented them, and, and we talk about this process of, of moving from amateur hockey to pro to, to um, uh, making it in the NHL, staying in the NHL. I see it's, it's a fluke. A part of it is just a fluke. You just had enough good things going on in your life and you met enough people that um, it, it, it happened. And I look at coaches and I had a number of coaches, um, you know, that just, I don't know, they believed in you, they saw something in you, they gave you the opportunity or allowed you an opportunity. And an opportunity can be fleeting, right? So it's what you do with it. But, uh, you know, I had, um, you know, uh, Ron Mason, and I decided to go to college. Um, I had Ron Mason, who winds up being one of the players when he retired, he was the winningest coach in college hockey history. Um, he didn't recruit me. We kind of found each other. He had a profound effect. I'm playing pro hockey, Floyd Smith. I'm in the WHA and he comes up to me and he gives me the kid. You think you can play 70 games? Johnny Edwards played 70 games for me in Buffalo, right? I hadn't played 25 games in a year. And you're, you're like, oh, I don't know, coach. I never played more than 25, but hey, I sure like the opportunity. And, you know, that's, that's how it works. There's, there's a, a, a significant degree of, of good fortune, uh, but more importantly, uh, good people that had a major impact on your career. And it, it just, it doesn't, doesn't stop, right? Uh, my, one of my teammates my first year was Pat Staple and just passed away. Great, great guy, right? I mean, really understood the game, thought about the game. And, um, you know, we came from college. College, nobody really knew that much about college, even though, you know, players like Red Barrington already played and retired. They, you know, it's still sort of a U.S. college hockey was an unknown. Pat said to me one day, everybody in hockey will give you a reason why you should fail. It's just up to you whether you believe them or not. Nothing could be more true than that, right? In hockey, we say players too small, too slow. He's timid. They come up with every every mm -hmm. flaw that they can, right? Instead of focusing on what they can do, right? And then deciding whether they can use that. It's the flaws that jump out at them. But really, it's just somebody's opinion that says, hey, I don't think you can do it. And if you believe them, you won't do it, right? So that's that's been as much um, for me um, what I remember, right? I. I I have uh, two conversations um, with my dad about um, 
playing hockey or pro hockey. And I'm, uh, so I graduated from Bowling Green. I'm going to start my pro career. And um, he, he said to me, or I said to him, hey, dad, what if I'm not good enough? I mean, after all this, what, <laughs> you know, it just ends right when we, I, I want it to start. And his immediate response was, well, I hope you're man enough to look in the mirror and just accept what, what it is and move on with the rest of your life. Because no matter how good you are and how long you think you can play hockey, there's still going to be the rest of your life. You're not going to do this forever. So it was that, that um, this is what I want to do. Okay, here's the support. Go and do it, right? And know that you're going to have to do something else. That's why you went to school, right? This is not going to last forever. And, you know, that's all of the, all those little pieces, the coaches and your parents and, and teammates that have this, this, they come to you at the right time with the, with the right words to encourage you to remove the anxiety to, you know, allow you to go forward, right? Whether it's Boyd Smith opening the door or my dad saying, hey, if you don't make it, it's okay, right? Lots of people don't make it. You've played a long time, right? And if you don't make it, or if you do make it, you still have to do the rest of the, what you're going to do for the rest of your life. So don't lose sight of that. And it, it's, you know, those are, um, and, and to bring that really full circle, um, you know, I had ruptured discs in my back. It was time. I was going to be 37. My career was over. I knew it. Uh, the cost of trying to continue far too great, uh, physically, emotionally, family, the whole deal. So I said, uh, my dad asked me, he said, um, are you going to go to law school? And I was like, wow, I don't know, dad. I said, you know, if I go to law school, in three years, I'm going to be 40. <laughs> he just on a dime looked at me and said, if you don't go to law school in three years, how old are you going to be? <laughs> 40. 40. <laughs> Doesn't change. You know, it was like it's the perspective that you know that your support group brings, and and here's the 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 thing that you know I I left hockey thing. I can't believe that I survived that long, right? And it really, to a certain degree, it's just a matter of surviving. Fifteen years, right? You're fifteen years, yeah. yeah. You know, and you just you just keep going until you can't go any further. But but here it is in a, a nutshell. It's just like start, go and do it. I don't know if you're going to be successful. Don't waste your time thinking about it. Just start, right? And there's things in life that um, I like movies, uh, Finding Forrester, right? Where uh, Sean Connery is helping a young kid learn to write. And uh, he just starts banging on the typewriter. And his whole thing was just start, just start typing. The thoughts will come to you. So just start in your career. I don't know if this is going to be your career. You're going to step sideways to move forward. You might have to go back to change directions. It doesn't matter. Just start and, and invest as much as you have to invest in it. Keep working it and keep moving forward. Don't bother looking right or left. Keep going forward. Move forward. And that's, and that's, Sort of when I look back at it, 64, I'm looking backwards saying, that's all it was. I didn't think that I would be doing what I'm doing now. It was the last thing that I wanted to do. Didn't want to do it. I just happened to fall into a really a great uh, company, a, a good, very good friend of mine, Brian Lawton, had started with Octagon and 
I'm going to start this hockey division for them with my little fledgling company, and uh, why don't you do it with me? And I was had been approached by a few players to handle their free agent contract that summer. I just left the PA. Why not? Right? Let's move in here. I, I thought I'd do it a few years. Right? And then I, I don't know. And it just and it, one thing morphed into another, and 22 years later, you know, here we are. You know, it's a really, it's a really incredible story because I think that a lot of people have, first of all, not a lot of people achieve the level of success in, in sports and in hockey at, and, you know, and go pro and get paid to, to do what they love. But then also you, you manage to transition into a second, a second successful career managing the contracts of, uh, why well, right now I looked at, I looked at a Forbes article. It said 328 million in active NHL contract. I don't know if that's gone up or down or whatnot, but you still you're managing a fair amount of, of player, you know, you know, player player livelihoods and responsibility there. How did you, you know, how did you become? How did you transition? So it seems effortlessly, but yeah, I know no, it was it was definitely wasn't effortless. The um, at one point, my uh, our friends asked my wife if we were still married because they never saw me with her. So. It, uh, it, it had that. Um, my goal when I retired from playing hockey, my goal strategy was not to take a lot of time off. I, you know, financially, we weren't in that spot, right? Um, so, uh, you know, I met with, again, uh, I was talking to Bob Good now. We just went through a strike. Uh, you know, I was very involved with the Player Association when I played uh, for the last six or so years. I found it very interesting um, in talking to him. Uh, you know, he said, you should go to law school. And he said, if you go to law school in 20 years, you'll look back on it and it will be, you'll say it's the best thing that I've done, best decision I've made. And it didn't take 20 years. I, I enjoyed the experience. Um, it allowed me to be at home and still moving forward. So it was, a, you know, a time when, when uh, I had, whatever I was going to set aside and, uh, you know, you're not making any money and you're spending a lot of money, but, you know, we had set ourselves up to be able to afford a transition. And, you know, it was, again, there's, there's another individual coming into your life, getting you pointed in a direction. And that's important. I, I've often said that to, I know hockey players, but I, I would say athletes in general, the same principle. Um, the guys who played a long time, right, and they reached a reasonable level of success that allowed them to play a long time, they can get up every day and they can grind and they can be successful. They can take direction. They know, understand how it is to work within an organization. When you get out of hockey, the, the issue is this. You play hockey, you have Pee Wee Bantam, Midget, Junior, or College, AHL, NHL. The stepping stones are there. You just have to follow them. When, you're, when you retire, the path is gone. You don't know where to go. And, and, and it's a, the other part to it emotionally is you immediately realize that you no longer belong in that group, right? That's an earned society that you get to play in. And when you're no longer a player, you're a retired player, you're an alum, all those good things. But in your heart, you know that you don't walk through that dressing room door anymore. That's not your spot, right? So you're dealing with all of that, and it, it feels isolating. It did to me. It felt like I was 
completely isolated. Um, so it's important to have something to come back to and to, and to start moving in a direction. For me, it was going back to school. Uh, there were a few nights reading in the library till 10 o'clock at night where you just look at the ceiling and go, what have I got myself into? Uh, fortunately, I told enough people that I, I couldn't quit, <laughs> that I was committed to the, to the, to the program. And, um, and then it just, okay, now I've got a degree. I, I graduated, I passed the bar, and now my dad looks at me and he says, well, now you got to figure out how to make some money with that degree. <laughs> it's not worth much if you can't do that. So, you know, I was with the Players Association. I, we were going to, you know, we had a grand plan. It didn't quite work out that way. Um, you know, I didn't stay with it, but, um, you know, you, you keep, uh, you know, th this presented itself and, you know, when you, there's a door opens, another one might close, but whatever your decision is, it's a decision that you make where you, I'm going to step forward and I'm going to make it the right decision, right? That's the other piece to it. You can't look for the right decision. You have to find something that you, you, you find appealing. And um, when you step in that direction, for the time that you're there, you have to you have to make it a great decision. You have to put your all into it. So it, it, it's not um, you know I, I have to I've been in school in 16 years. I'm going to go to law school. I have to pass the entrance exam, the LSAT. I, I took a course. It didn't make any sense. You know, I was like whatever. And and it's all you know it's a, it's a time test, right? It's uh, you, you know, I have to move, and there's a lot of questions and not much time to answer anything. So I would get up every morning, kids would go off to school. I would sit down and I would do an LSAT exam every day or half of it or a third of it, whatever it was. I forget how it was broken into sections. But I would do a section at a time and make sure that I could answer a section of questions within the allotted time. And I did it every day for probably a month or two, right? And you just pound away at it until I, you start to, you know, you get your rhythm. You get your rhythm in terms of the, the cadence of answering questions. Um, you get a feel for the type of questions and where your weaknesses are. And that's just preparation. So, you know, it, it's, it's like everything was a book. Everything I learned, I learned, you know, everything I learned in life, you learn as a, before you're five or something. It was like that. It's like everything I know on, you know, in life, I learned when I was, by the time, you know, whatever, right, through hockey. So same lessons, um, transfer, uh, you, you, you take the good experiences and you build upon them. And then after, after that, so you, you know, you have your JD, uh, you never actually, did you ever practice law or did you just go right into managing? And I guess a lot of the contracts actually could require um, some legal uh, revision or whatnot right. or, or supervision. So did you? Yeah, I stayed with yeah, I stayed with the Players Association. So I was working part-time with the Players Association while I was going to okay. school. I was also coaching uh, at Michigan as a volunteer goalie coach, um, which was a lot of fun, but, you know, just a hobby. Yeah. And, um, um, and then after graduation or writing the bar, then I stayed with the PA, you know, did a lot of distant work, working from home, uh, the things that we're doing now. Um, and then, you know, a couple of years after that, I was, uh, I, I decided to leave the PA and then that was the choice, right? So, and I did have a choice. I could have said, uh, I could have practiced law in earnest. And, and looking back on it, it's the one thing that, in a way, I wish I had, right? So when I have a young person 
call me or, or contact me, however you contact me. Uh, he says, I'm going to law school. I want to be a player agent. And I'm telling him it's an end game. It's not the beginning. You went to law school to be a lawyer. Um, now that you have your, you passed the bar exam, now go be a lawyer. Because when you pass the bar exam, you have all this black letter law, but you don't know how to do it. And you have to learn how to execute as a lawyer. And I tell them to go uh, find the most complicated, involved law firm that you can work for and dive into it and put your 80 hours in every or whatever it is every week and really grind through it. At the end of five years, if you want to make a lateral or move in another direction, then you can make that decision at that time. But first, develop some skills outside of you went to law school, you passed the bar exam. Okay, you're a smart enough person. Now go develop some skills and experience. And then if you want to come to the sports in general, actually, then, then fine. But it, it, sports is, is essentially, it's a bit of a dead end world. Like it's here. And, you know, where do you go, you know, from here? Mm -hmm. I, I think that there is something after a sports career and management, whatever, if you've got some, a skill set coming into it. So that's my advice. I would have liked to have done it. Uh, I started representing players, you know, a few years after law school. Um, again, it was, it, it just, it, it's something I started. I had the background for it with everything that I've done playing the player association, school, practicing a little bit. Um, and then I moved into uh, representing these players. And then within Octagon, I wound up uh, having the opportunity to do a few other things. Uh, when we had the lockout in 0405, I was, uh, you know, participating in other areas using my law degree, and and, um, and then I eventually started managing the hockey division. We we expanded it. Um, uh, we were in a good position because of the stability of Octagon. Um, we were uh, 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 Alan Walsh joined us, and shortly after that, uh, you know, we kept expanding, adding few other players uh, with him, Rick Follett and then Andy Scott, and we're 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 growing our 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 uh, uh, team. And then uh, Ben Hankinson joined us with Chris Calpine with another agency, and and um, you know we just uh, you know so you know your success is is a lot of hard work. Uh, it took a lot of years to get there. Um, it took law school. It took a couple of years. At the player association, it took a handful of years to build up a practice, and along the way, you know, the good fortune of uh, having the opportunity with Octagon, having the, the bandwidth to add additional uh, agents, and very quickly um, expand uh, a footprint from a you know uh, you know 10, 12 players with Brian Lawton to 100 players with with Octagon, and then a, the attrition and a lot of our we have a mature clientele. It goes up, it goes down. But um, um, you know, we've we've built, we've had a chance to build uh, an organization right, mm -hmm. that has a significant impact in the National Hockey League and and uh, and on our clients. And you know, so our philosophy, if you will, is is that um, we're managing their careers both on and off the ice. Uh, no, I'm not on the ice, but they're you know, <laughs> they are <laughs> outside of their hockey. Um, you know, because it's important for players to athletes come into professional sports. Um, there's gonna they'll have a, a number of great things uh, come their way, including 
uh, it's going to be very lucrative. But the key is, what do you leave the game with? That's critical because they're they, regardless of how much money they make, and there's far more money, uh, much more money in the game now than there was when we played. And they can retire. The problem is they're so good at what they do. They're so used to being in the saddle and being in control and having a material impact. They're not just going to ride off in the sunset and say, okay, I'm going to do nothing. I'm 37 years old and I'm retired. Never going to happen, right? They're, they're going to have to do something. So, you know, if they have enough money, that's fine. They can transition. If they don't have enough money, um, they're going to have to create another, um, another career. And, and that's, that's, been a big part of our success. And I was, I was, I'm curious now as, as a, as an agent and managing all these careers, what are some of the largest challenges that you have with the players or the players experience in, in their careers? Well, you know, it, it, it can run the gamut, right? I mean, it's, it's certainly it's established in themselves. I mean, uh, uh, players who have, um, you know, Patrick Liney steps into the national hockey league, um, you know, he scores uh, 80 goals in two years, right? I mean, that's, you know, there's, his, his issues are, you know, his career is starting to establish he's on his way. There's so many more players that, that have to learn the process and sort of walking them through the, uh, the you know, the tough parts, the rough parts, and, and, and maybe they have to change the way they play the game. I mean, everybody that comes to pro hockey is coming with a degree of talent. They were the better players at the level they played below the NHL. So that doesn't mean that they're going to be a, a top six forward. They're not going to necessarily play on the power play. They're going to have to adjust. Uh, you know, that's, that's one of it. And uh, one of the issues that, that um, you know, derail a career. Right? Mm-hmm. Then, and he's a top 10 scorer and, and, you know, his career is off and running and, you know, it, they're, I don't want to say generational, but, you know, you're, uh, you're not concerned too much with their on ice and, you know, then everybody's off ice, you know, they have challenges where we think that they're adults, right? They look like adults, they make money like adults, but they're still kids and they have the issues that, you know, decisions and everything else that kids make. And so you're, you're, you're always um, managing that piece of it, right? They're going to go through, um, uh, you know, they're 22, 23, 24, they're, they're doing adult things, right? They're buying homes, they're buying cars, they're, you know, they're, they're you know, paying for uh, yeah. colleges and things of that nature and getting them to understand, uh, making them financially savvy is, is important, right? They have to, they have to understand the, that, that this is not going to be forever, that, you know, you're, you're making X on your contract. You're not making that number. You, your partner, the government, is taking a chunk of it. And, and this is what it's going to cost when you're, uh, you know, to, to get through your life. And, then, and they, they understand that or it, it comes, becomes more clear when they, when they approach retirement, when they can see that this is going to end. And then they've got three children. And they start adding up the cost of, of education and then mm-hmm. health all of these things and and i always tell them you have no idea how much money you're going to spend from 35 to 55 raising your kids right and you just you just can't put your head around so um that's the gamut of, of you know it, of course you can get into um 
they're so young i think that's like the the thing that i'm pulling from is like they're just so young and they have to make all these huge, but that's that's with the most professional athletes like you see that quite a bit like, like yeah, financial issues and whatnot when they retire they're 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 forced very quickly right they grow up um they step on the ice and they look like adults yeah right in control of their world and then when you step off the ice or off the field or court you know they're kids they're very quickly you can see that they're and they're mature individuals but they're 22 right yeah. they just have the experience to, you know to manage the, the things that they will be exposed to and then of course you're now we're in the world of, of branding and and uh, you know players uh, social media and and all of that that can be good and bad. And, um, you know, you really just try and, you know, I want to say you're a surrogate parent, right? You want them to, to experience life, make mistakes, just not make too big a mistake. <laughs> exactly. that, that is, uh, you know, that's sort of the job. That, that's yeah. the now, now what's now? Um, I just have a couple more, I guess, questions related to like the industry and, and the state of the industry because um, you're so involved in it. What do you see happening with the current pandemic, with the way we can't go into stadiums anymore and arenas and, and, and watch a game? Do you, think, do you think that there's going to be major disruption or is there plans to find, you know, come to some sort of uh, way to keep business working in the interim? What's, what's your take on that? The pandemic is, an unknown, right? I mean, medical personnel yeah. with don't wear a mask. Now it is a mask. It doesn't. And this, this, it's so novel that that you know we're all, everybody is guessing at at how to handle it, what's going to exasperate it, how to curtail it. And you know, in the world of professional sports, uh, as long as they're telling us we have to stand six feet apart from each other, it's very hard for me to envision how we're going to sit shoulder to shoulder with each other and, and watch a hockey or any any sport yeah it, it's it, it, it we're in a we're at a moment where there's you know uncertainty is an understatement um of course we're um you have to be buoyed by the amount of money being thrown at at vaccines and therapeutics and a lot of brilliant people in the world and and the more they wrestle with it um you know we're, we're counting on them being able to control this and i don't know what control means but i think that we have to have the security um that we can go to an event not likely get sick if we do get sick treatable mm -hmm. and stay out of the hospital and do you think the players can play even without a crowd? I think, I think the, well, I think the players can play in the proposed NHL conclusion to the 1920 season. That they can do, right? If they can get the players into the bubble and everybody is free of COVID, the players can stay in the bubble, um, then logically, if they don't let anybody else in the bubble, they should be okay. Can you do that for a season? I have my doubts. But you may have to start next season, later in the year, December, January, and start without fans. 
know, if we're on the edge of moving in that direction, much like they've done in the, you know, in our state, I'm in Michigan, right? They, we, we had some, you know, we were on the front end of it. Uh, there was New York. Our airport is heavily traveled internationally, and I think we probably got it from both sides of the world. Um, and at one point, um, the county that I live in, Oakland County, had more cases than 31 other states. That's how bad it was right here. So the governor, I think, did a great job um, guessing, of course, drawing the line to different spots, but shepherding the state through a crisis to the point where now we're starting to open up. Um, you know, we're still fluctuating. We still, you know, there's still flares on the western side of the state. Um, it hit the eastern side of the state with Detroit first. And I think that'll be very much like the NHL. We may have to start next year without fans, but hoping that that uh, Canada is way ahead of the United States in terms of uh, their management. Um, and we have to get to a point where we uh, slowly move in a direction that um, um, by the end of whatever the end of next year is, or whenever the end is, that we we maybe we have more and more fans, and we're we're fully occupied when it gets to the playoffs. So I want to take a second and thank Indeed. They're a huge sponsor of the Success Story podcast. And as business leaders, we're all driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. It's to match with Indeed. Now, if you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. You need to ditch the busy work. You need to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster all the tools you need are in one spot. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite. Now, as a business owner, I always remember when my company hits a growth spurt. It's great, but then you realize that things start to break. Things are taking three times as long. Manual processes start to bury your team in paperwork and admin, and you really don't have one reliable source of data or truth to understand how healthy your business is. If this sounds familiar, you have to know three numbers. 37,000, that's how many businesses have upgraded to NetSuite, the number one cloud financial system. 25, NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years streamlining accounting, inventory, HR, and more for growing companies. And one, because your business truly is one of a kind, NetSuite gives you customized solutions so you can manage everything about your business in one place, from inventory to invoicing, one powerfully efficient system. I love having all of my data in one spot NetSuite allows me to do that. It gives me the big picture so I can make smarter decisions. And they turn complex financials into understandable, actionable insights. Right now, you can get NetSuite's popular KPI checklist for free to help improve your business. It's designed to help you boost performance across key areas of your business. 
Go to netsuite.com slash scottclary to download the checklist and see how one complete system can transform your growth. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Get more control in your business with NetSuite. Just a quick question. Have you ever had one of those oh no moments when you realize that you accidentally deleted a huge file or worse, your whole computer dies? I know I have. It's happened to me a lot, but don't sweat it. The sponsor of today's episode, Backblaze, they have your back. It is unlimited backups for all your Macs, your PCs, or even your whole company. And it's really affordable, under a hundred bucks a year. If you're running a business, they take the stress out of protecting everyone's data. If you need more bells and whistles for compliance, so on and so forth, they have enterprise options too. Honestly, losing data sucks, but Backblaze makes getting it back easy. They have restored billions of files. They offer tons of restore options, including rapid recovery in an event of data loss or ransomware. And you can access your backed up data from everywhere and anywhere in the world using their web app, iOS, or Android apps. It's been recommended by the New York Times, Inc., Macworld, PC World, LifeWire, Wired, Tom's Guide, 9to5Mac, and tons more. And best, you can try it fully featured with no risk at backblaze.com story. They set up that link for all success story podcast listeners. That is a no risk free trial at backblaze.com slash story. Seriously, back up your stuff. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all success story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. I want to thank Belay for sponsoring today's episode. They provide solutions that all of us need. They help us get back more of our time because time is the most precious resource. A lot of you listening our business leaders, entrepreneurs, you know that if you spend your time incorrectly, it can make or break your business, your personal, professional relationships. It can completely sidetrack you and stop you from reaching your goals. So I'm going to ask you, are you protecting your time? How much of your day is eaten up by tasks that could have been done by someone else? Wouldn't you rather spend your time on things that truly matter? The answer should be yes, because you have to, to move the needle on whatever it is you're trying to build. That's where Belay comes in. They are the nation's largest pool of exceptional US-based talent. Belay offers flexible staffing solutions to free you up. Need a virtual assistant to conquer those pesky administrative tasks or maybe an accounting professional to really keep your finances in order? Belay can help with all that and way more. Their personalized matching process saves you the headache of hiring by finding the perfect match for your needs in as little as a week. Focus on what matters the most with the help from Belay. Text SUCCESS 
That's S-U-C-C-E-S-S to 55123 to learn more and get started. You know, I think that's probably a best case scenario, and it, it's going to be difficult to thread that needle. But, um, you know, there's, there's many businesses that are in that, in that same, you know, it's hospitality, it's entertainment, it's airlines. We're all, we're all going to be fine when we get to that same spot. And, and I guess the, the last thing I, I want to ask you sort of some insight questions as to, you know, what you've learned over your career. But uh, before I sort of pivot back away from NHL, you know, Octagon, uh, what, what are you personally curious about in the world of, uh, of NHL hockey, where the industry is going? And it could be pre-COVID, but are there any trends that you see taking off? Any things that, that's changing to the game that, you're interested in right now or that's relevant? I think that um, <clears throat> I'm very fond of saying the more things change, the more they stay the same and that we've changed uh, a lot of the labels in the game, but the game is still five individuals against five individuals and a goalie at either end. And the game is very much about, I'm going to suppress your will with my will. And that piece of the game is never going to change. That is the essence of of, of competition. Um, we have moved in a direction of trying to explain what people that have been in the game see, right? And that is people who can control the puck, who can, who, you can see the shift in the momentum of the game. Um, and uh, when you look at um, a team like St. Louis last year, uh, when they win the Stanley Cup, they, it, it was just a freight train. I mean, they were, there wasn't anything special. Um, you wouldn't say that they overpowered teams offensively, but they played a very coordinated game, uh, inspired game, and a selfless game. And their spirit matched or suppressed everybody else, and they came away the winner in a closely tested uh, final. We're going to try to, and we've tried to explain that through analytics which is terrific. I think analytics can open some suggestions and refine the game and, and make it a little bit, it's certainly more interesting. And I think it, it, it's a help. It isn't the entire question, uh, or the question is not entirely answered by analytics or even, it's just, it's part of. Um, where analytics for me takes on a, a, a more meaningful and uh, the, in, in, in a game like hockey, with when it is so fluid that um, it is, if they could ever perfect the player's relationship to the puck, right? So chipping the puck, chipping your jersey, they they understand where you are and tracking it, and and there, I think that the data that you will mine from that ability. Um, will be um, will help the game improve it'll help players understand their deficiencies um, coaches appreciate what they're not doing structurally and um, uh, you know it, it's another layer of, of for the fans to enjoy right the, it yeah. becomes more interactive on a, on a, a, a level where the real time you know because I'm, I can see TV screens with all sorts of um, uh, data on them, you know, in, in relationship to that. And, and I'll give you a quick example. Um, we would say puck possession, 
you know, analysts came up with well, puck position. If you control the puck, you have greater chance of winning the game. Really? Thanks, Tess. We always knew that, right? There's no, there's no, there's nothing new there. But if you're going to start putting a clock on somebody controlling the puck or puck possession, if they're controlling the puck along the boards, that might be useless, right? Because you have to control the puck in the middle of the ice. So those are the things that you can, that, that I look for analytics to become um, uh, more informative, more accurate in their um, uh, explanation of the game. And that's starting to be some. That's something that that is is being incorporated more and more into into the I guess the training strategy or even like you mentioned like the the data points that fans can engage in. So th they put these up on screen now and they use them in, in coaching oh, and training. I, I think that there, you know there, there's no once you have. Uh, I think you're going to continue to see that. I think there's going to be more interactive play. Um, you know uh, beyond gambling, right? I, I mean that's going to be the next one, but. I think it's 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 interactive in the sense of explaining and and getting people to understand the game and what's really going on, and um, uh, you know that that's technology and yeah. and we're looking at in other areas of uh, players with um, you know wearable technology, right? So there's once you know it, it you get into a situation where you're monitoring a player. Um, Hey, you can look at it as a negative or you can look at it as a positive. I think that I went through my career um, at the end of my career. We didn't have water in the net. So if you're a goalie and the team didn't take a penalty against, you know, you didn't have a chance to go to the bench and get a shot of water, right? Which is lunacy. So you're going to go play 45 minutes and not replenish any of the fluids that you're leaking. So the... Um, you know, wearables goes to that, right? And they can monitor. So a uh, point I want to make was uh, at the end of my career, we had a nutritionist come in Washington and they replied and it was, you know, mid-season past 60% of the season was over. And I, so we have a consultation with her and she said, your red blood cells are low, you're anemic, you're dehydrated. And I went, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, are you okay? And I said, well, this is how I feel. Right, this is how I am. This is always how I am in February and she's looking at me like I should fall over. So monitoring those things, uh, teams in the West Coast have had a uh, uh, sleep coach, if you want to do it, someone that's monitoring their sleep patterns, your, your jet lag and, and nutrition and all of those things, how much you're working, how much you're, uh, you know, where you are in your fatigue level and you need to practice for 40 minutes or 20 minutes or have a day off or you out of, we used to say you could play yourself out of shape, right? Because you're just playing the game to actually, you know, the game slow down. I don't know how it happens. Lawyer, not a doctor, not a biologist. I don't understand this stuff. I can just tell you that, you know, you get to a point where you say, I, I feel like I'm out of shape. Now they can, they monitor that. I see it as a huge uh, advantage for players. If they're, you know, they, they, they should never be afraid of stuff like that. That's very interesting. I, I just love getting insights as to where like a whole industry is going and and the tech that they're going to be using. So th yeah, thank you for for you know highlighting that um, because that's a lot of fun to sort of uh, understand and and interpret how that's going to change the game and not just change the game but like augment is probably a better word than than change. Um, okay, I have some questions just to to sort of tee up your life experience in your career. So you sort of touched on this before. 
But what would be some advice that you would give somebody who wanted to go into a career like yours? It could be, I would say somebody who wants to focus after um, after they retire or they just want to go into sports management. You mentioned it before, but just highlight that again. Well, you know, it, it, I think if you're an athlete, I, I, I really think that, you know, you're going to stay in coaching or, you know, you're going to work your way into management or scouting. That's fine. I mean, you, you have the requisite background for that. But um, uh, young kids are coming out of college and they're going to go to law school or you know, uh, business school. Uh, I still say you have to go and um, acquire skills, develop skills, acquire experience um, away from uh, sports and and then bring those skills back to sports. And, um, you know, the, the, the best example is you look at commissioners of the various uh, team sports leagues and they're probably all lawyers, but they're, you know, they had a career, they had another career and brought those skills to the job that they currently have. Um, you're a lawyer, you can, you can wind up being general counsel for, for an entertainment company that has a football team, baseball team, hockey team. But to, to, to jump into sports is, is limiting. It's a, it's, a, it's a very small business. Right, you have ticket sales, you have sponsorships, you have advertising. It, it, it touches on everything, but it's it, 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 it's a small business, mm-hmm. right? It's a small business. So um, your experiences are limited, and um, it, it's a great job, right? I mean, it, it's something that's attractive because people identify with it. Um, but there's there's you know, and depending on what your your goals are and your career is, and you have to look at it that way. You have to say, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna move in this direction is this a career, right? And if it's not a career, where do I go from here? What skills am I going to develop um, in this job? What experiences am I going to have? And where am I going to take that next? Or do I run this up the ladder and I'm the president of the club? So, uh, you know, it's essentially, it's a process. Uh, being successful is an is a amalgamation of years, right? And, and you're, you're not going to go you know, from zero to the top of the chart. And, you know, the, when we look at um, athletes that come out of junior college and they start in the NHL, right? There's only one way, or one way to go from there, and that's down. And they may, and either you stick, or if you can't, and then you have to go, you're going the wrong direction. So when you miss a step, right, that's when, you know, trouble is on the horizon or potentially on the horizon. Same in developing your business career, mm-hmm. right? You're, you, you, they say, what we rise to our level of incompetency. If you if you rise too quickly, you know, I, I would think that the fall will be great. And um, you're, you know, so you know, I come back to developing players and, uh, or athletes develop into their careers. So do uh, so does everybody else, every individual in their in their own endeavor the process. Um, what, what is a, a common myth about playing professional sports that should be debunked? It's a pretty great life. I don't know if there's anything that I would debunk. It's not easy, but, um, uh, it isn't, uh, always as glamorous. It, you know, when you look at the numbers that people, um, 
uh, put up. And, and of course, you're always focusing on on the most uh, the successful or the highest paid individuals. But you know that's the top of the chart. And professional sports leagues and even amateur or not amateur individual sports, you know, have a series of you know maybe the majority of players where it isn't anything like that. That they're they're doing well. They're they're moving forward. They're going to have to have a second career. Um, and um, it, it's it's a grind. It's as I said, it, it's survival. You look back on it and say, you know, I can't believe I survived that long. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so it, it's the idea that it's always about the celebrity, and the, the celebrity for the very best players is definitely a two-edged sword, right? The more most successful people, you know, they essentially have limited private life because they're so recognizable, and for the players who, who don't rise to that level, uh, they, they, they'll have their anonymity, but it is more of a grind. You know, you're an individual sport player, golfer, tennis player, you're trying to make it in the world, you have no team. You know, you're traveling by yourself or your small entourage, you really can't afford a big entourage, you're not staying in the best places, you don't have that, the, the capital behind you. So it's it, it is that idea that it it's uh, uh, you know we focus on the celebrity and the um, and the money and we forget that there's a the majority of the players are not falling into that bracket. Um, what who or who rather are are three of the most influential people in your life? Are, you know, I mean, I, I think everybody says their parents. Everyone does, but it's okay. It's a good answer. <laughs> but but, it, but it, it happens to be. I, I, I will say this. It's sad when that isn't true, right? I think it's really important that that is one of the, or they are uh, one of the most influential and really the most influential. Um, it's always going to be the people who have influence on your life are the people who um, have Created or become intermittently or or consistently part of your support. Right? So for an athlete, you can't get away from the coaches. I had I, I learned from the coaches that I had. Um, I had a coach. Um, you know, I played junior. I was 15 years old. I wanted to go to college. That became sort of a focus. I was playing for the Toronto Marlies, where the major A team. I was playing for Markham, the junior B team. That was the graduate program. I wasn't ready to make that decision. If I had stayed with Markham, I would have been pressured to do that. The coach of Markham, even though I was going to be the starting goalie that year, Bill White, uh, suggested I go play in Dixie, right? He was looking out for my best interest. I learned something about selflessness there. I played for Joe Scanlon in Dixie, and he was really tough, right? And he just didn't accept it. Right, like you, it was a tough game, and you played tough. I went to Ron Mason, and Ron at Bowling Green was, was, yeah, yeah, you're doing really great here. You think pro hockey is easy? You think you're ready for? I mean, he went. I got drafted after my junior year. The draft was age 20, and I went to talk to him about it, and he gave me 15 minute litany about how I wasn't prepared and why I wasn't prepared, and that pro hockey is X, Y, and Z, and and he had played in Peterborough in the Montreal Canadian organization, and. And it was a very sobering moment, but it was that, you know, reality check. He told me what I needed to hear, not what I wanted to hear. 
And then, you know, with um, uh, Boyd Smith, I mean, somebody comes in and just like, here it is, it's your second year, and he gives me the rain. And, um, you know, he showed a lot of confidence. And, and you know, it, it, it flows that way. So I say Red Barrington, I say Barkley Plager, I, I, Tex Evans and Hartford for sure. I learned a lot from, from them, uh, you know, individually. Uh, or, or rather, each individual imparted something that I could uh, take up. Yeah. And, um, you know, so it, it isn't, um, uh, you know, for me, it, it has never really been about indiv an individual or three individuals. You know, Rick Dudley in, in Cincinnati, Pat Staple in Cincinnati. There are di different people that came into my life when I was in that formative my formative professional years and even on the way out right um we're we're uh, you know with bob good now i mean it, it, you you need that you have to have a support group right i i think every successful person has that group of people whether it's three people or it's it's clusters of yeah. people it's always been the clusters outside of my parents beyond that smaller cluster, it was a cluster of five or seven and then a cluster of four or five over here. And, and um, you know, the, the rest is up to the individual. Um, and what are some, what are some resources, uh, books, podcasts, whatever you, you know, whatever you enjoy uh, consuming that have, that has helped you along the way? Well, going to law school was <laughs> that's a, a lot of, that's a, that's a good one. <laughs> And it also destroys your interest in reading when you're done with that program because that's five pages. Or you know, I think it's they say ten pages an hour. That's the most oh, you, can, you know you can absorb. So it, it, that was a grind. But I did. I like that. The experience was was great. I think that that studying law should be more incorporated. The, the basic idea of studying law and the Socratic method should be incorporated, even though we're losing it at most law schools. Uh, should be incorporated in undergraduate um, or below. I, I think it's just linear thinking and the ability to pull yourself back and consider all of the arguments or to develop the idea of two competing thoughts in your head at the same time. Um, that was, you know, after, you know, playing hockey, it, you know, it, it, hockey's a grind. You get, you get dumped into it and you don't, you put your, you don't see much of the world, right? From, September to wherever you finish. And, and then there's the summer and you try to enjoy whatever free time you have, and then you're back at it. And, and after 15 years, I just felt like I was a full of mush. And so law school was, uh, you know, a moment to, to re-educate myself. Um, and, and after that, I, I, I like history, right? So I like reading about individuals in history and about, uh, you know, moments in time, even if it's, if it's a historical and you know the I won't say quite a historical fiction it isn't it's historical but there's lots of blanks filled um, uh, in so um, you know I I, I think re so you're really reading about individuals right and that's that's been um, uh, something that I've, I've um, uh, you know I've enjoyed doing it's more than pleasure I'm I'm getting something out of it. Um, I took a, a, a negotiating workshop, you know, last uh, in, uh, I forget when it was, probably November, December of, of uh, 2019, right? So 
it was I did it for a variety of reasons. Uh, one of which was, you know, from a corporate standpoint, we were considering I was going through the experience, but I, I learned I actually learned a lot of that. I was it crystallized some moments and things that you naturally do, and identified some things that you're uh, naturally weak at. So the the idea is that you're going to learn. Um, it can be formal in an education, it can be informal in just the things that you uh, are interested in. And, you, you know, you try to I don't know, you learn from it, right? And and, um, and you're always looking to uh, improve on your skill set. So I go back to, hey, you've got some formal training, now go and, you know, find some experience and develop skills and perfect, and under, really understand what you can and can't do, mm-hmm. right? And, Play to your strength. Good. And then uh, just one lesson that you would tell your younger self. Ah, my younger self? Yes. That's my your younger son. I should I already told him everything. Oh, you could tell or or you know what? He'd probably tell him the same lesson, but <laughs> yeah. Um I would tell a younger self not to be uh deterred by uh the adversity, right? You're gonna get knocked down. And we all know that. You know, it's the you know, it's not whether you get knocked down, but whether you get up. Mm-hmm. Every time you do get knocked down, it, it knocks a chunk off you, right? And, and I would say that there are moments in my uh, career, both on the ice and off the ice, where negative experiences, sometimes there's a residual effect that you, know, you don't shake off. And I would, I would say that no matter how bad the experience, find something good from it and never think about it again and never let it deter you from being aggressive or, or, you know, shying away from that same opportunity, right? Look for, you know, essentially you're going to have some bad experiences, right? You're going to lose, right? And, and wherever that loss occurs, go back at that same issue, right? Do it until you win. I I love that. that We, uh, we tend to, um, we tend to shy away from that. We're, we're, we're not sure we want to go and challenge ourselves again. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last the last question: uh, What does what does success mean to you? Well, you know, I, I, you know, let's let's get money on the table, right? Because money makes the world go round. So I'm not going to give you a uh, theoretical answer and have somebody say, "Man, it's really about money, isn't it?" Okay, so let's put that out there. But it, it's it, it, it is the um, very much like um, people talk about retirement, right? Are you going to retire and just do nothing and play golf and there kind of to find whatever your hobby is? Um, you know, and, and, and you know, say, oh, they're afraid of that, right? It, it's about doing something that's meaningful. It's important, impactful, right? Even a little bit. And it doesn't have to be money, right? It could be no money. Don't drop it. So, I think being successful is looking back and saying I had an impact on that. Now, you know, um, you're always going to say, "Well, I could have been more impactful." Sure, sure, yeah, we understand that. But, but at least you know you left a mark. People have an opinion of you. People know you were there. And um, uh, you know, for me, that's that's success, right? If, if you can achieve that level. But, um, and I think uh, I'll, I'll equate it to this. When you're a young athlete and you're asked to go and 
see somebody who might not be well, might be really sick, um, might even be, you know, just a meeting with somebody. And uh, when you're 23 or five, and you just, you're not always going to make the right decision, right? And you're not going to think for that this is important. And it is important, right? The impact that we have on people, not just athletes, anybody, you do something nice for somebody, you don't understand the depth of that impact, right? When you're a young person. I mean, I certainly do now, but <laughs> nobody, no, you know, you don't have that opportunity, right? So it, it is, um, uh, you know, that goes with it. I think you look back on your life and say, I'm really glad I did that. I'm really glad I put myself out there. I know that I can understand why that would, would, would have an impact. Now, I got a little bit of that when uh, my father passed away. Uh, my mother received a few letters for some uh, young kids that were around our age, um, you know, that my dad had taken some time to help them in a variety of ways, summer jobs or just some advice uh, when they were going through some tough times and that they remembered it, you know, 30 years on, right? So, um, and, you know, that sort of drove the, the point home as well, right? Mm -hmm. You know, your, your influence on people, you may never fully understand, but understand that you do have an influence on people. You know, make it, make it good one. Very good. Um, so I don't have any other, any other questions, I guess, to, to sort of wrap up. I just want to um, ask where people can connect with you online or learn more about Octagon. Are there yeah. any places? Yeah, well, I mean, Octagon, uh, website, octagon.com. Um, we have um, uh, Octagon Hockey uh, on our uh, uh, Instagram and uh, Twitter site. I am not um, on social media. Um, and uh, probably with good reason, because it would it would morph very quickly to politics, religion, and everything but hockey. <laughs> just it's it's just a pot I choose not to step into. But um, uh, the um, uh, you know we're 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 accessible. I mean you know we're online with the uh, NHLPA and um, email addresses and you know. Are there? Okay, good. Yeah. No, that's all. That's all I got. That's all I got. Thank you so much. I really appreciate yeah. it, Mike. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Thanks. No. For that. Uh, did you? Was that? Did you enjoy it? Was there anything that you that you didn't like? I thought it was all good. Yeah. No. No. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I think it's. I, it's an interesting. Um, you know, I do. Uh, you know, do a lot of it. Uh, part of our role, my role, is more because of my age and my clients have gotten older. That um, I. I Almost all of them, you know, we're, we're talking post-hockey, um, you know, advice on whatever, the, you know, just the things that we're talking about, whether it's staying in hockey or branching out, going back to school. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's strategizing how they can take that next step. And um, they're, um, so it's, it's uh, you know, I find that important to do, right? It's the pay it forward. I had that. I mean, the, the guys that I mentioned, you know, they, they had a profound effect, right? I mean, they just, they, you know, they just did what they said, how they treated us. Um, you know, some of the lessons that, um, you know, I had uh, good fortune to know, um, you know, in, in playing in St. Louis, one was Dan Musial, and of course, playing against him was Gordy Howe. And they're the same generation. They're exactly the same individual. Right, 
in the sports context. Um, you know, Stan, you know, I met through my uh, in-laws, my father-in-law. Um, you know, he just he just couldn't be a more humble individual than he was. And, and I know him superficially, but um, I remember uh, <clears throat> my father-in-law died prematurely. About two years after that, we happened to be playing in a golf tournament at the same time. Somebody had mentioned to me that Stan was there, and I said, "I'm going to go up." And, I was going to go up and introduce myself, you know, and hey, remember me? You know, I'm Bud Donald. Yeah. And I'm I'm walking towards the, you know the pro shop where he was his first day, and and I can see him coming because he had a kind of jerky motion, and 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 he's and he's walking uh, he's walking towards me, right? I'm looking over my shoulder. Who's he going? There isn't anybody behind me, and Stan was. You know, hey, say what do you say, right? And he and he comes right up to me and he wanted to know how my mother law was doing, right? Mm -hmm. So this is unusual. They have a statue of him in front of you know the ballpark in, in St. Louis, and 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 Gordy was very much like that. Like you were playing, you were a player, and and the word got around with the older guys. You know, this kid's the player. He keeps his mouth shut. He does his job, and and Gordy always treated me, and I got to know Gordy a little bit better because I, I played with Marty and, and um, in Hartford and Gordy was around Hartford. And, you know, they were, they were, um, they were impactful. They were, you know, I won't say role models. They were just like, you you watch them operate and, and say, okay, right. There was no air about them, right. These are two of the biggest names in their respective sports. And they were just guys, right. They were just part of the group. So that's where, you know, you, you know, your actions do mold people, even inadvertently, right? Indirectly. So there, uh, I had a lot of really good um, moments like that in in my career, right? So it's it's natural to you know, I, I it's important to me. I think it's important to the next generation. They may not think so; that's their prerogative. But you're still going to try. Mm -hmm. so this has been fun. No, I appreciate that. A lot of really, really good lessons. Um, I, I was really happy with it. And, you know, you, you've obviously done a lot over your career. You, you have a lot of really great wisdom and insight to share over. So I'm, I'm happy you did this. Thank you. Yeah, real good. Got it. Let's right. stay in touch. I look forward to... Let's stay in touch. Yeah, when, uh, whenever... Well, I'll, I'll, I'll flag you when this is going live. I have a couple um, backlogs, so I have to just plan them out when they're going to be published. Um, yeah. But I'll, I'll keep you in the loop, of course. And uh, and yeah, hopefully uh, this lockdown will be over sooner than later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, well, I hope so. But yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, it is what it is. You know, we don't control it. We just we yeah. Just bump yeah. All right. Good deal. All right. Take care. We'll talk soon. Stay healthy. Hey, you too. Bye. Later. That's all for today. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of the Success Story Podcast. You can download or stream this podcast wherever podcasts are available, including iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many others. You can also watch this podcast on YouTube. If you haven't already, please subscribe and share this podcast with your friends, family, coworkers, and peers. Please leave us a rating on iTunes. It takes about 30 seconds as it allows other people to find our podcast and lets our amazing guests reach even more people with their message. And remember, any rating is fine as long as it contains five stars. I'm Scott Clary from the Success Story Podcast, signing off.
I want to take a second and thank Indeed. They're a huge sponsor of the Success Story podcast. And as business leaders, we're all driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. It's to match with Indeed. Now, if you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. You need to ditch the busy work. You need to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster all the tools you need are in one spot. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite. Now, as a business owner, I always remember when my company hits a growth spurt. It's great, but then you realize that things start to break. Things are taking three times as long. Manual processes start to bury your team in paperwork and admin, and you really don't have one reliable source of data or truth to understand how healthy your business is. If this sounds familiar, you have to know three numbers. 37,000, that's how many businesses have upgraded to NetSuite, the number one cloud financial system. 25, NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years streamlining accounting, inventory, HR, and more for growing companies. And one, because your business truly is one of a kind, NetSuite gives you customized solutions so you can manage everything about your business in one place, from inventory to invoicing, one powerfully efficient system. I love having all of my data in one spot NetSuite allows me to do that. It gives me the big picture so I can make smarter decisions. And they turn complex financials into understandable, actionable insights. Right now, you can get NetSuite's popular KPI checklist for free to help improve your business. It's designed to help you boost performance across key areas of your business. Go to netsuite.com slash Clary to download the checklist and see how one complete system can transform your growth. That's netsuite.com slash Scott Clary. Get more control in your business with NetSuite. Just a quick question. Have you ever had one of those oh no moments when you realize that you accidentally deleted a huge file or worse, your whole computer dies? I know I have. It's happened to me a lot, but don't sweat it. The sponsor of today's episode, Backblaze, they have your back. It is unlimited backups for all your Macs, your PCs, or even your whole company. And it's really affordable under a hundred bucks a year. If you're running a business, they take the stress out of protecting everyone's data. If you need more bells and whistles for compliance, so on and so forth, they have enterprise options too. Honestly, losing data sucks, but Backblaze makes getting it back easy. They have restored billions of files. They offer tons of restore options, including rapid recovery in an event of data loss or ransomware. And you can access your backed up data from everywhere and anywhere in the world using their web app, iOS, or Android apps. It's been recommended by the New York Times, Inc., Macworld, PC World, LifeWire, Wired, Tom's Guide, 9to5Mac, and tons more. And best, you can try it fully featured with no risk at backblaze.com slash story. They set up that link for all Success Story podcast listeners. That is a no-risk free trial 
at backblaze.com slash story. Seriously, back up your stuff. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. I want to thank Belay for sponsoring today's episode. They provide solutions that all of us need. They help us get back more of our time because time is the most precious resource. A lot of you listening our business leaders, entrepreneurs, you know that if you spend your time incorrectly, it can make or break your business, your personal, professional relationships. It can completely sidetrack you and stop you from reaching your goals. So I'm going to ask you, are you protecting your time? How much of your day is eaten up by tasks that could have been done by someone else? Wouldn't you rather spend your time on things that truly matter? The answer should be yes, because you have to, to move the needle on whatever it is you're trying to build. That's where Belay comes in. They are the nation's largest pool of exceptional U.S.-based talent. Belay offers flexible staffing solutions to free you up. Need a virtual assistant to conquer those pesky administrative tasks or maybe an accounting professional to really keep your finances in order? Belay can help with all that and way more. Their personalized matching process saves you the headache of hiring by finding the perfect match for your needs in as little as a week. Focus on what matters the most with the help from Belay. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to learn more and get started.